that connection, but uh, it has been a great study. I would even encourage you just to read through on your own uh, because the Word of God is profitable. All Scripture has been inspired by God and is profitable for teaching us, for correcting us, for, um, for teaching, for correction, for reproof and instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped complete, mature, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And um, so it's good for us to be in the Word as much as we can be. Well, this morning, um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. It is a long chapter, so it's very kind of Jamel to give us a little extra time to read through. Um, But by way of introduction to the chapter, we just ought to give a little bit of context, right? Uh, the book of Genesis of, is Genesis is a foundational book. The word comes from that Latin word which means beginnings. And it is the book of beginnings. And they, many have called it the seed plot of the rest of the scriptures because topics and themes that run throughout the whole Bible find their beginnings there in the book of Genesis. And uh, many of the things that were lost and undone in Genesis we see being reversed at the end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation. Uh, but it's, import, it's an important book for us to understand. Now, the thing that's interesting to me, as you begin to try to get a big picture view of the Bible, is to see where does God spend the emphasis of the time that he gives topics in Scripture? Right? When you look at the Gospel of John, for an example, you begin to realize that John has 21 chapters and... The Lord Jesus had 33 years of his life, but starting in chapter, wow, in chapter 11, we look at the very last two weeks of Jesus' life. And starting in 13, you've got the last 24 hours before his death and resurrection. So, So roughly... Half of the book is covering these last few moments with his disciples and the few moments he had with them after his resurrection. So you say, wow, this is obviously an important theme in John's understanding of who Christ is. And so we begin to read the book in that light. Well, when we look at the book of Genesis, what do we see? We see the first 11 chapters covering all of the primeval history of mankind. Right, And so we have 2,000 plus years of history crammed into 11 quick chapters with God creating the world. And then we see the fall of mankind. And then from there, after the fall, we see that, that the fall was extremely detrimental to mankind because man became so wicked and evil that God sent the flood to destroy all but Noah and his family. And from there, they began to repopulate the earth again. And and from the Tower of Babel, we see the scattering of the people into many, many nations. And thus concludes the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So he gives us just some highlights from 2,000 plus years of history. And suddenly he slows way down. From chapter 12 of Genesis, really until the end of the Old Testament, we have another 2,000 years. So why does he slow down? Where, where does he put his emphasis when he slows down? Chapter 12, he calls out a man out of all those nations, Abraham. And the promise of Genesis chapter 12 is he said, Out of you, I will create a new nation. 
And through your seed, all the world shall be blessed. And in the blessing of Abraham, he said, I will give you this land. I will bless you and make you a fruitful nation. All those who bless you, I will bless. All those who curse you, I will curse. And so suddenly he begins to deal with a man. Interestingly enough, you know, we identify Abraham to God today as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, you know, Abraham had another son, Ishmael. Isaac had another son besides Jacob, Esau. And so we see a, a, a narrowing in of the focus of God. Why? Because of this promise to Abraham. The seed, the descendant who would arise from Abraham, from that singled out nation, not just to highlight one man, not just to, to, to lift him up and exalt him so much as to show the greatness of a God who loves the mankind that he has made and he is trying to single out the Savior that he promised Adam and Eve that he would send. It began with a very general promise. The seed of the woman would rise up to crush the head of the serpent. But now the world is flooded with men. All of them have come from Eve. Who is the one? How do we recognize him? And we have these promises that God gives, saying it will be a descendant of Abraham. It will be a descendant of Isaac. It will be a descendant of Jacob and Joseph. Well, Jacob, down the line. And... He begins to narrow in. But notice this chapter we come to now. The son of Abraham, Isaac. This happens to be the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It focuses in on a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac. He could have just told us who, she ma- who he married. But why does he spend all this time developing the story of Isaac and the finding of a bride for him? I believe that this is a significant story because of its history. We will now see how it is that God will provide a wife for Abraham's son of promise that his prophecies of the coming Savior would be fulfilled. We see in this picture a significance because of its spiritual picture. It illustrates for us the place that we have in the church, in the eyes of God and in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's spiritual truths for us even in the New Testament from this story. We also see a great significance to marriage itself. As we see the heart of God again for this precious relationship that he has created. And along the way, I hope that we will see personal significance. As we enter into not only those who can receive the promises of Abraham to those of us who receive his forgiveness by faith as those who are part of the church spiritually, but also those of us who experience his blessings in marriage. And perhaps there are some today who are still hoping a future blessing in that regard, and there will be personal principles I hope we will see there today as well. Well, I've just given myself a tall order, and so maybe we should just turn right now to the scriptures. We're going to read Genesis chapter 24, this great significant passage of finding a bride for Isaac. Starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled, who ruled over all that he had, Please, put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, 
that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the serpent, excuse me, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. And the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please, let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. A virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. And then she quickly led her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw some water for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent as, as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, 
Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house. And he, that is Laban, unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And so he said, Speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, Behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please, give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, Please, let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, and he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. And then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us for a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young, the young woman and ask her personally. And then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And then Rebekah and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. 
And so the servant took Rebekah and departed. And now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahiroi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Oh God, may you indeed bless the reading of your word before us today. There's so much here. We can't possibly take it in and all, but I pray that, that you would open our minds to receive what you would have to say to us today. That we would rejoice in your fulfillment of promise to Abraham. That we would rejoice in your calling even of us in the same way that you sent for Rebecca and arranged for a bride for Isaac. That you've arranged for a bride for your son, the Lord Jesus, and calling out the church from this world. And Lord, we're so privileged to be able to be responding to that call today to know Him, to love Him, that we would know His love that He has truly for us. And Father, we ask Your blessings upon all the marriages that are represented here, that You would help us to learn from the lessons here, to rejoice in the provisions You've made for us, even today in this world physically, and that we would pass along these things to those following behind us, that they too might enter in and be blessed of the Lord. Lord, we just commit this time to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, you know, I've, I've enjoyed the study of Abraham, as I said. There's a passage I just wanted to show you in Genesis 18 before we come back to our story that I think is so impressive. In the day that God visited Abraham as he was on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah, and his intent in going to Sodom and Gomorrah was to, to deal with what was going on there. It was being overcome with sin and God was going to have to judge. But as he came and had some time with Abraham and fellowshiped with him there as Abraham served him this meal, the Lord said this in Genesis 18, starting in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, and do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. He said, I have revealed myself and known Abraham. And he gave a purpose clause there. In order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord. You know, throughout the scriptures, we see a very sad commentary. Those who personally have come to know the Lord themselves fail to pass that baton to the next generation. We see in Joshua, bringing the people into the promised land, the very reason that God brought them out of Egypt. But it says, as soon as Joshua and his generation, the elders of Israel in that day, as soon as that generation had passed on, 
That next generation did not know the Lord. And they departed from His ways. But we have just studied in Genesis 22 a very great example of Abraham fulfilling the purpose that God had for him. Passing along his personal faith to his children and to his household. In Genesis 22, when Abraham was, what, 115 years old? His son Isaac, somewhere there around 115 himself, excuse me, 15 himself, a youth coming into his full strength. And Abraham takes him up to the mountain by the word of God. And Isaac even asks, where's the sacrifice? We've got the wood, the fire, but where's the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham puts him off for a while, saying the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. But when the moment comes and he reveals to him, God has asked me to offer up you on this altar. Full well knowing, he said, Hebrews tells us that he fully believed and was persuaded that, that should that knife have come down into Isaac, that God was going to raise him up from the dead because he had become so convinced of the faithfulness of God. But Isaac submitted to that. There's no way that Abraham could have kept up with his son if he'd run away. If Isaac had, had fought back, how could this man have had the strength to contend with his son? But we see a faithful son who had also come to know the Lord and wanted to walk with him. And one of the things that I see in this passage that is interesting, see, because many of the patriarchs, they took many wives. Abraham, one of his failures was, was trying to fulfill the promises of God through Hagar, his wife's handmaid. And God said, no, I've given you a wife, Sarah, and my promises will come through will come true through her. And he proved himself faithful. And here we see in this beautiful picture of marriage, Isaac taking one wife. And he loved her. Isn't that beautiful? We see in this picture, I'm getting ahead of myself to the marital blessing, but you know, the, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. When Adam was there in the garden before sin and God looked at him, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. And it was God's initiative that took care of Adam in providing a wife. And here we see this, the father looking at his son. The comfort that Isaac may have had having his mom around, she was gone. And Abraham now looked at his son and said, he needs a wife. And he sought to provide one for her. And Isaac graciously received that wife and he loved her. He received her. Now, you know, we don't see a perfect marriage there. We see in the later days, they had divided loyalties to their different children. And so they weren't perfect. But he had one wife and he loved her. That's a tall order. It's a great example for us to follow, isn't it? But this is the heart of Abraham for his son. And he had passed along this faith. And you see, we're going to see his own servant began to understand and trust the God of Abraham. So Abraham is old. And what is his desire? His desire is for his son, that he would have a wife. And so he calls his servant. His concern was that he would find not only just any old wife, but one 
that would be blessed by God. And he looked out amongst the Canaanites, whom God said, "You will; these people were going to be dispossessed by Abraham's descendants. They were going to come under the, the judgment of God. And he could see the culture that they were living in. And he said, don't take my wife from there. He said, I'm sending you to my family, to my father's house. And I want you to take a wife from there. And so he charged his servant. He even made him swear. Now, I don't claim to understand this whole thing of putting his hand under his thigh. And there's some varying understandings of what that means. And I couldn't find any real documentation to show me that that, that, that it's valid or whether it's just conjecture of, uh, you know, that being near to the loins and where the where the 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 progeneration of man proceeds from or whether it's the 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 strength of a man in his thigh and therefore you are submitting yourself to their strength and authority by placing your your hand near his thigh whatever but it was obviously a thing of their culture because Jacob made his son's promise at the end of Genesis not to bury his bones there but to bring them back to Canaan it was something in their culture and they understood it was a solemn vow. I would, I would say our modern equivalent is probably putting your hand on the Bible, although that's probably going to fall to the wayside soon in our culture. But it was something authoritative that they knew that they were taking on, a, a vow. And he placed his servant under this vow to say, don't take my son's wife from anywhere else but from my family. And so his servant did put himself under that oath, and he departed. And uh, you know, when it comes to us in today's day and age in the church, God's given us instructions on where to find a wife, hasn't He? He said, "Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Choose a wife, choose a spouse from within the family of God." And that's so important. You know, there are so many ways that we can be attracted to people in this world. But the most important one is our relationship with the Lord. And there are many marriages. Yes, they get along. Yes, they love one another. But see, there's something at the heart of that relationship as the two become one that God says. He's a part of that relationship. And we need to be able to share that with one another to truly experience all that God has for us in this relationship. And there's many marriages that are getting along and probably doing better than some that where both parties claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. But if you talk to those people, you'll say, they will tell you, there is a dimension that they find missing and long for in their own hearts. And so God tells us, don't be unequally yoked together. Go to the family of God, to someone who truly knows the Lord. And that's just one, I, you know, where I'm going to come back to in, in all of our different applications of this story, historically, spiritually, maritally, that's just so important. I want to just mention it now, lest it be forgotten. So this is his charge to his servant. How does his servant receive it? Well, you know, we're going to see the diligence of this servant in fulfilling the charge of his, of his master. And we begin by seeing his immediate obedience. I love this. Verse 10, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and he departed. And he, for all his master's goods were in his hand and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Nahor was Abraham's brother. And he remembers where they had come from years before when God had called Abraham out of that land. And God had brought Abraham now to Canaan, but he was on his way back. And he went in obedience. He arose and went. Abraham was obedient. When God told him, take your son up to the mountain, it says he arose early in the morning and he gathered his things 
and he went. And what a great example of the servant to be obedient to his own master in coming to fulfill his call to find a bride for his master's son. And so he loads up these 10 camels and he makes the travel back to Mesopotamia. And it says when he arrived at the city, it was near evening time and he stops by the well and he knows that this is the time of the day where the young women come out to draw water. And so he parks there with his 10 camels and his men and he prays. Another great mark of this diligent servant. He was not only obedient, but he was a man of prayer. He immediately stopped as he got to the city and said, Now, Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Now, we have to understand that he asks for a very clear sign. Now, there's many people. I remember in Bible school, there was someone who, who said, you need to pray for your future spouse. And people took him very literally. And there, were, there, was some, <laughs> there was a girl in my youth group who bought a certain size pair of jeans. And she went back home and she prayed, Lord, fill these jeans. <clears throat> I suppose she was telling God what size waist he needed to have, how tall he needed to be. Uh, I, I, I don't know if she went as far as eye color and hairstyle or a color of skin. I don't know all that. You know, I just heard the other part of the story and never forgot it. But um, he did ask for a sign. And we have to understand this. He lived in a day and age where there was no written scripture. He didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But he did know this. Abraham said, The God before whom I walk, who called me out of that land, he will go before you and he will prosper your journey. And he didn't give all the details of how God would do that, but this man believed it. And he looked to God for guidance. And he asked for some clarification of who the person is. And I love this part. He says, uh, verse 14, he says, that, uh, uh, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. He said, Lord, you are designing someone. You have someone in mind for my master Isaac. Please make her known to me. That's a good prayer. We may not be able to ask for such a specific sign and have no of assurance that, you know, the next woman who comes around the corner, you know, that can get you in big trouble, right? But what is he looking for? Here's what I want to pay attention to. He looks to the Lord and he prays, but now let's notice his prudence, okay? As, what was he really asking for? As soon as he's, I love this, before he even finished speaking, it says that suddenly Rebecca came around the corner. He didn't say let her be the first one, but there was something he was looking for. And as this woman, he saw her, he said, wow, she's very beautiful to behold. Now that wasn't his determining factor, right? Let her be someone who just totally attracts me. Right? No. That's always nice. But, you know, if that's all you're attracted to right from the beginning, it can lead you in the wrong direction. But he was looking for something else. It wasn't just outward things. But notice, it, 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 she comes around the corner. It says she was a virgin. She was walking in holiness. She hadn't known a man. And this was something that the God makes special note of about her as she comes around the corner as she's introduced to the servant. And it says the servant ran to her as was his plan and asks for a little sip of water from her pitcher. And not only does she say, sure, you can have a little drink. She goes and she offers to him. And I'll also draw water for your camels until they've finished drinking. Now, you know, this is a no small, no, no small uh, offer. I was trying to look it up. I saw somewhere I think that, you know, a camel could drink after a journey like that, you know, some five gallons of water. And he's got 10 camels. And other men there too. 
And she says, I'm not just going to give you a little sip out of my pitcher that I just went down there myself to draw from, but, but she said, oh, don't worry, I'll draw water for all your camels too. That could possibly be upwards of 50 gallons of water. How big was her pitcher? I don't know. But she had it up on her shoulder and was carrying it up and down from the well. So she was incredibly polite, unselfish. She wasn't thinking of herself, that's for sure. You know, She could have just given the man a drink and said, have a good day. But she runs quickly and empties her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well and drew water and drew for all his camels. And I love verse 21. The man, wondering at her, remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He was discerning. He, he didn't just jump in and say, oh, she's made the offer. She's the one. How many times those of us on our journey to finding a spouse thought, oh, I, I found the one. I think this might be it. But he was patient, watching and discerning to see what... Who is she really? And he, he says he wondered at her and remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it wasn't until she had finished, it says when the camels, verse 22, had finished drinking that he reached in and took these valuables from his, from his things and began to give to her and to inquire about who she was, from what family she was, to proceed in investigating towards this issue of marriage. You know, it's too many times I think that we start tipping our cards as young people about our interests in people and really do damage to others' hearts by getting a little too fast before the leading and directing and confirming of the Lord. And we get entangled in ways that God doesn't want us to get entangled and it distorts our objectivity in discerning the Lord's mind concerning marriage. It wasn't just that she was beautiful, but he, was, he, he found a way to observe her character. And in her offering to, feed, to, 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 to bring water for those camels and to finish the job diligently and to quickly and run down to the well and, and, and that measure of service and selflessness. And then when he asks her where she's from, she's so respectful and gives these answers and, and, and offers hospitality. Sure, verse 25, we have straw and feed plenty and, and we have room to lodge. And she, like Abraham, was so generous in his hospitality, does the same. A lot of things he learned about this woman in just a brief period of time. It's not that he courted her. They didn't go out on dates. He was observing her character in the normal situations of life. And we can observe a lot about these things in one another without entangling ourselves in the wrong ways. And there, I love this about the servant, verse 26, the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. He understood the Lord was making clear his leading and he bowed and worshiped the Lord. He said, verse 27, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. He has not forsaken his mercy and truth toward my master and I being on the way, the Lord led he was on his way in the normal course of life and without doing any miracles, God had directed and what a great pattern for us. Being in the way, the Lord led. And he worshiped the Lord. He had asked for guidance that God gave it. He is thanking the Lord, praising the Lord and worshiping him. Would that I and we were also quick to give the Lord his due in worshiping and blessing him. But notice now, okay, the young woman runs and she brings her household and, they, and Laban, it's hard to know whether he's just being as hospitable as she was or whether he sees the gold on her wrists. 
and wants a piece of it. But he comes and he opens his home and he brings them home. And, and I love this. When, when he's taking care of the men and he's washed their feet and he's, provi- he's, 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 he's uh, boarded the camels and finally food was set before them to eat, the man was earnest about what he was sent to do. He said, no, wait, I'm not even going to eat to feed myself. His concern was still his master's commission. He said, I must carry out and fulfill, tell you about my errand before I sit down to eat. And so they said, speak on and listen. And I love this about the servant's message. It didn't have anything to do with him. Of course, he had to be into it. But if you read through this, you will see it's about the Lord. It's about his master. And so he says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master and he, my master, has become great. And he, the Lord, has given my master flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master. You hear who he's talking about. It's all about his master. He's telling about the glories of his master. And it's in the telling of the Lord and of his master and his master's son that her heart is one. And so as the Lord sent his angel and prospered his way, as he lifted up his master, she was drawn to him. You know, the Lord Jesus said that, didn't he? If I be lifted up, I would draw all men to myself. That's the picture here. God the Father had a desire before the foundations of the world to provide a bride for his son. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 1? He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 5 says that, that, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might present to himself a bride, a spotless, blameless bride, which is the church. How did it happen? The servant here the, the, the Father would represent to us God the Father. The Son being the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the servant would be a great picture to us of the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit's work is to magnify the Son. And John 16 tells us about how the Spirit does not speak of Himself. He speaks of the Son. And He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's drawing men to Himself. And if He be lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And so we see what a great picture spiritually of the God the Father and His love for His Son and of the Son's desire and love for His bride, the church, of which we are a part if we have responded to this invitation. But this is what happens, right? as he recounts the story and it's a fantastic retelling of the story, even giving greater detail, which we don't have time to go into, go into, but he, the bride, as, as she hears the story and, and as her brother and, and father begin to respond, they said, it's from the Lord. It's obvious. We can't say anything good or bad. It just, we understand it is. And, and so the servant says, great, let's go. Send us away. <laughs> wait a minute, wait, 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 this is very sudden for us. Let her stay behind. And, and they want to kind of uh, change the, the arrangement, so to speak. But, but no, finally they say, let us call the young woman and ask her personally. And what does she say? What a great question is presented to her in verse 58. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. You know, the question has come to each of us regarding our salvation. 
We were separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus Christ came to earth and paid the penalty. And now the invitation is given. Will you come to him to enter into this eternal covenantal relationship? Marriage being the picture of it. And the invitation is given. Will you go with this man? Will you commit your heart and your life, your eternal destiny to Jesus Christ? And the question has come before us. Will you go with him? May we have the same answer that she had. I will go. It is personal. I will go. It's also positive. I will go. Sometimes we, we see people who say, well, I need to think about it. Some of them wait too long and they never go. But she said, I will go. And they went that day. They went. It was personal. It was positive, And it was also prospective. She looked into the future. I will go. She'd never been there. She'd never seen him. But by faith, she received the invitation and her heart was drawn to him. You know, that's what Peter says about us, isn't it? Having not seen him, you love him. We will see him. If you've responded to the call and you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then yes, we look forward to that. We're going there. That's what the story tells us. They mounted their, 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 verse 61, Rebecca and her maids arose, they rode on the camels, and they followed the servant. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, and he's promised to take us to the Son all the way to eternity. The Bible tells us we are kept by the power of God, not by our own, our own performance. And he, just as this servant, faithfully delivered Rebecca to Isaac. He will faithfully deliver all who call upon Jesus Christ for salvation to our eternal home where we shall forever be with the Lord. And we're in that journey. We haven't fully arrived. But we've responded and we've said, I will. (laughs) That's the decision of the bride. But we see then, as we said earlier, the devotion of the son where when he comes out, interestingly enough, to the place Bier Lahairoi, this was the well that Hagar had been at when, when, when she was sent out from Abraham's uh, house from before uh, uh, Sarai. And, and, and when the Lord met her there and said to go back, she said, this is the well of him who sees me. She had called out to the Lord and seen the one who saw her, answering her prayers, meeting her needs. Interesting that that's the place where Isaac was as he was there waiting for the return of the servant to bring the bride, this place of answered prayer. As he was meditating, it says, out in the field in the evening and he lifted his eyes and here she was coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. She was looking towards where she was coming. Her eyes were focused in that direction. And when she saw Isaac and the servant explained, yes, this is the one, this is my master's son. He is the one to whom you are betrothed. It says she, she got down from her camel. She veiled herself and she readied herself for the meeting. And how we are supposed to be readying ourselves to meeting our loved one, the Lord Jesus Christ. First John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Now, beloved, we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. And just as you longed for your wedding day, 
We long in our hearts to see the Lord Jesus, to be free of this land and this wilderness, to be with him. And it says here in Genesis that Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. That's our lot. To be forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus, to love us, that we might be with him. The Bible says even to reign with him, to be co-heirs with him for all eternity. What a beautiful picture. Well, may God indeed encourage us, not only about this spiritual picture, not only about the fulfillment of history, but you know, his desire for us today is to teach us about himself. These marriage relationships are meant to be a picture. As we learn more of him, we should become better husbands and wives. As we learn to be better husbands and wives, we learn to love him more and understand what it's like for him in being in a relationship with us. May he indeed help us. May he bless you. If you, if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, you are on the outside still. But I would tell you, the invitation still stands. Will you go? with this man our father we thank you again for this beautiful picture beautiful passage that you have placed there for our historical benefit our spiritual benefit even our marital benefit benefit in our relationships today we thank you that you still consider marriage a blessing to mankind that there comes a time when you not only see the need of the individual to have a companion but you send out your servant, the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit, to mark out the course. That we being in the way, you would lead to confirm your direction, your choosing, one for the other. Help us to truly receive and love our spouses as you would have us to do. Give us faith for those who are still waiting, that you would mark out the path before them. And Father, most importantly... We thank you for drawing us into this loving relationship with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in such a, a tremendous way. Help us to live in the light of that love, to purify ourselves for him as we look forward to his return. And help us to lift him up so that others may be drawn as well. For we ask it in his precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.